to another episode of our mini podcast, I Built a Company That Makes a Difference by B1. Here we talk to founders of sustainable businesses to get their takes on how and why they started their companies and very importantly, lessons learned along the way. Today I'm joined by Jackie Fay, the founder of She Can Try, a nonprofit organization that empowers women through sports, including physical literacy, sponsorship and racing, and highlighting female athletes. Additionally, Jackie is the founder and owner of One January, a women's social impact activewear line made from recycled plastics and which supports women impacted by war and poverty. Jackie, you've built some incredibly fantastic, important companies and projects. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm really looking forward to learning about you and hearing about your entrepreneurial journey. Yeah, well, um, you know, I... Like a lot of things in my life, I sort of became um, an entrepreneur by accident. Um, you know, I my background's journalism, so I started off, you know, as a as a local television reporter in the United States. And you know, my my dream in my twenties um, was always to make it as a reporter in New York City. So you know, I think when I was yeah twenty eight years old, I you know got up, moved to New York City. Um, was living in New York City, went to grad school, and I was working in the city trying to make it work, you know, after I got my master's degree from Columbia University. And out of the blue one day, I got an email um, about a job in Afghanistan. And I was like, wow, well, this is the once in a lifetime opportunity. Um, you know, at first, I actually thought it was a scam because it was, you know, a job. And I'm like, is this real? Or is this like a prince in Africa, like emailing me, you know, you want a million dollars. And so, um, so, but I responded, it was a legitimate job. And, you know, before I knew it, I was on a military plane um, going into Afghanistan and that was in 2015. And, um, you know, when I got there, I was living on this compound. And before, when I was living in New York City, I always taught fitness classes to make extra money. And so, um, so I started teaching fitness classes on this compound just for fun. You know, I wasn't making any money doing it, but just for the people that lived on the compound, I started talking to um, local Afghan women that worked on the compound and um, and was asking them about sports. And basically, they told me, you know, women don't really have access to sports here. And that was the first time in my life I ever even thought, um, wow, there's some places in the world where women can't play sports. Um, and I had never been exposed to a culture like that. And I just couldn't imagine. I know sports have had such an impact on my life um, and have enabled me to be the strong woman that I am. Um, and so that's when I started taking steps um, to make to make a change um, because it was really needed. So it wasn't like I set out to be this entrepreneur. It just sort of, I saw a problem and I took steps to address it. So I have so many questions already <laughs> just from what you said. Um, first of all, what was the job? Was it a was it a reporting a journalism so, job? So so I worked as um, like a private for private U.S. companies that worked mostly on um, projects for the Department of Defense. So, I mean, I went there in 2015, but I actually ended up, I thought I'd stay there for a year and I ended up um, staying there off and on for six years. So I was there off and on from 2015 to 2021. And in that six year period, I spent about four years on the ground. So sometimes I would work on um, you know, stuff for NATO headquarters that would go out on our social media. Um, 
or would go out um, to international media. Like for instance, um, sometimes journalists wouldn't be allowed to cover certain things, but I would be allowed to have access. Like the first um, actually UH-60 Blackhawk helicopters um, that we had trained, no other cameras were rolling when they took off on their first mission except for mine. So if you've ever seen, you know, this is the first UH-60 mission from Afghanistan of Afghan pilots, um, you know, that was my video that I shot on the ground. And so, and then I was also a teacher while I was there. I taught English um, for Afghans that were actually in the Air Force. Um, and so I had, yeah, a couple of different jobs. I bounced around um, and then, of course, I launched my nonprofit um, and I went into Afghanistan just working for my nonprofit at um, at one point. Um, and so it was it was I mean, over that six year period, it's hard to explain to people because I did so many different um, different things. So then for somebody like myself, I've never. I've maybe once have, or twice been on a military base, but not I'm not very familiar. So in Afghanistan, you came into contact like very often and regularly with re just regular population, uh, especially young girls and women. Well, is that from teaching? So it depended what job, you know, so, so most of the time I lived on a compound where, you know, I wasn't actually exposed to locals on a daily basis unless like when I was covering things at um, NATO's headquarters there in Kabul, we would go out and I would um, be with the locals, but just to cover a story, and okay. then I would go back to the compound, um, but it was always like I'd be on a convoy going out and then then I'd be with the locals, but then I would go back to the compound where I was only, you know, with um, an international um, community um, and NATO headquarters there was also attached to the U.S. Embassy. So, you know, I always explain it to people, you know, sometimes I was on a compound, sometimes I was at a party at the U.S. Embassy, sometimes I was out in the field sleeping on a cot and only eating MREs, like sometimes I was living out in a hotel when I was a teacher, and then, you know, when I, of course, when I was working with just my nonprofit, I lived out in town in a house and I only had Afghan guards, um, and so it just, it was such, a, every step was so um, different, Um it's just really an ex such a complex experience. It's hard to to even explain because every every year was so different. Right. Oh my gosh, how exciting! So then, what made you? What was the impetus of saying, you know what, I'm going to cross a cultural threshold to start introducing sports? Yeah. So, um, you know, in in 2015, when I first got there, when I first you know was exposed to this culture and thought, hey, I really wish I could do something about this. Um, so I started doing research, you know, first things first, and I came across an article in The Guardian um, about the marathon of Afghanistan. And in 2015, they had the first marathon of Afghanistan, and only one woman participated, um, one Afghan woman. And she actually trained for the marathon by running circles in her backyard. So fast oh my gosh. 20, yeah, it's crazy. And so, and so I would tell that story in my fitness classes to, you know, the other international workers that were there. And I would say, you know, you don't have any excuse, like, listen to what this Afghan woman did right. for the marathon here. Um, and I would tell her story as kind of a motivating thing. And then in 2017, I decided I wanted to launch an organization to give sports opportunities, um, to train women as leaders. Um, Cause I don't know if you knew this, but if you look at female leaders, no matter what profession, you know, whether it's politics, business, um, you know, technology, the military, like whatever it is, 
so many women leaders played sports. Um, and so, you know, it's, there's a direct correlation that sports empowers you to be a leader. And, um, and so I thought, gosh, if anyone needs opportunities in sports to empower themselves is these women impacted by war and poverty. And so in 2017, that's when I launched She Can Try um, or started launching it. It didn't launch till 2018, but to launch it, I decided I'm going to become the first woman to do six Ironmans on six continents in a year. So I, you know, took off, raced around the world, um, trying to raise awareness for my organization. And it worked, you know, I landed um, on national television in the United States. And so, um, so yeah, and then the organization um, launched and then, so that was the middle of 2018 when I finished um, the, got the world record for becoming the first woman to ever do that. And then in um, January of 2019, I recruited the first um, athletes in Afghanistan to train, to compete in a triathlon. So, oh my gosh, I have so many questions. Again, this just keeps piling up. I hope this is going to be a long one. Um, Okay. So one, I would love to know about your own sports background. That's, that's one thing I would love to know about. And then you, you, (laughs) You've done six, you did six Ironman triathlons in the space of how long? A year? Six Ironmans on six continents in one year. In one year. Yeah. Okay. Let's start with, tell us about your own background in sports. So, I mean, I was just an average athlete. (laughs) Um, You know, I mean, I grew up playing sports. I was a fitness instructor. Um, I've always loved sports, but I wouldn't say I'm like this natural and nothing has ever come natural to me. Um, like that's, I'm not naturally like gifted at anything. I would say I work hard. Um, and, and I haven't always had a lot of resources, you know, and I, and so it kind of put me in a position to where I was the perfect coach for these women because they didn't have a lot of resources. And I knew, you know, from growing up, you know, not having a lot of money, always having to borrow things to make things happen. Um, You know, I'm a scholarship kid. Like I didn't have money to go to school. Like I didn't, wasn't able to get my master's until I was nearly 30 because that's when I finally got a scholarship um, to go to school. You know, it wasn't like I just had, um, I didn't have, you know, really like the parental support that a lot of people have. And so, um, so I really just, you know, yeah, we are, we're hustlers. Um, you know, we, we make it work. And so, um, that's really what I'm teaching. And, um, is that, you know, no matter, you know, on a shoestring budget and with limited resources, you can still accomplish really, really incredible things. So, wow. Okay. Okay. All right. Let me, I'm going to get, I'm going to sidetrack myself here, but let's get back to, she can try. So that organization officially launched off the back of this incredible feat that you'd or I'll just have a side here I I, I watch Ironman triathlons regularly I grew up in Grand Junction and we have a couple hometown heroes who are professional triathletes and they they compete a lot in in Ironman so I follow Ironman regularly every time I watch one the last one I watched was Lake Placid every time I watch one I'm I'm just in awe like I'm stuck to the TV for eight hours I'm completely in awe of the human spirit and the capacity for doing something like that. And I don't think, you know, again, when I go over, I have to remind myself every time I watch one of the numbers, 
This is this the length of the the swim distance. This is the bike distance. And then there's a marathon at the end. Like, it's amazing. Can you? Okay, so you did six of those incredible feats in one year. She you she can try launched off the back of that, and you launched that while you were still in Afghanistan. Yes. Okay. Yeah. What did that first year of launching look like? Did you have a plan in mind, or you were like this? this needs to be in the world. This needs to happen. And it grew organically. So I'm sort of like a plan as you go kind of person. <laughs> um, and I think that's how like in sports training, like I, in an Ironman, you know, when you think 140.6 miles, oh my gosh, a 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike, and then a 26.2 mile run. How am I going to do it? Like, it seems so overwhelming. Yes. Um, you're never, you won't even take that first step. But if you just think, hey, this is the goal I want to get to. Today, I'm going to do this to reach that goal. And then tomorrow, I'm going to do this. And the next day, I'm going to do this. So people are always like, oh, you must be so busy all the time. And I'm really, I never feel super overwhelmed. Like, I, I just work all day. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I, um, like, but I take a lot of breaks. Like, um, you know, I just sort of like do a little bit all the time. Uh -huh. um, those little bits add up to a lot. And if you, if I think about, gosh, going back to January of 2019, when I recruited these Afghan women, um, they didn't know how to swim. They were scared of the water. We didn't own bicycles. They didn't know how to cycle. They knew how to run, um, but they weren't necessarily fast. Um, and so there was a lot of hurdles to overcome. And I think that was really scary because I felt like someone else was depending on me. Right. Um, you know, and I think, yeah, I, that training someone else is so much harder um, than training yourself, you know, um, or I think so anyway, I mean, empowering yourself is always the first step, but then taking that empowerment and giving it to someone else, um, it's so, so, so much harder. So when I, when I look at the fact that I did the six Ironmans on six continents in a year, I'm like, that was easy. You go try compared to, to that first training <laughs> venture. You, oh you go gosh. try to train an Afghan woman, how to do a triathlon in Afghanistan. That's hard. Oh my uh, you know, or even, you know, our latest project now, um, is in Kenya, you know, we're training, um, we've just recruited four, um, women from the largest urban slum and all of, um, Africa and Kibera, um, you know, these people make, um, $2 a day if they're lucky, if they're working, you know, only 50% of the population within Kibera is unemployed. Um, you know, I mean, this is extreme, extreme poverty. And, um, but again, you know, we did our project in Afghanistan, which was successful. And that gave me confidence now to move on to do this project in Africa. So how many women did you start with in Afghanistan training them? And what did your four. training infrastructure so always, look like? Four. We always okay. start with four. Okay. And, um, and yeah, and, uh, you know, we started with four. After a year, only two of them made it to compete in the race, mm -hmm. you know, um, and then only one of them finished. Mm -hmm. uh, but I will say, like, our top two athletes in Afghanistan, like, both of them went on to earn scholarships to study in the United States of America. Um and, you know, um, yeah, I mean, it just ended up being this crazy, crazy story. It, you know, really, it got them out of out of Afghanistan, um, you know, being able to say that they were their country's first triathletes. That's um, amazing. That's that's an incredible story. Yeah. And um, 
I mean, but we did, we just, we worked with that, you know, we don't work with, I think that's why I like being, um, why I was trying coming up with a sustainable model uh -huh. is so many, um, nonprofits that take government funding, like that government funding is attached to numbers and they want you to be able to say, oh, I'm training 300 mm -hmm. women mm -hmm. from this many places. And mm -hmm. they want you to do it with like, not very much money. But we actually spend a lot of money per athlete and we put a lot of time in and we change their lives. Mm -hmm. Like we change their lives. Like it is about quality. And if you have so many numbers, unless you have the money to support that, but most government grants aren't that much. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, it's not about the numbers. And if you look at these government backed program uh, programs, you know, are their athletes going on to actually compete in an international race and finishing mm -hmm. or are they just playing sports and not ever competing? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's, there's also, I mean, that's, that's great, but our goal is to get them to be represented on an international stage. And what does the training infrastructure look like at that first group? Was that just you training? So, so, I mean, mostly we would, so we would take them like first we started, I, I took the four women to Dubai. I thought, oh, I'm going to take these girls to go see a triathlon. <laughs> and so, wow. so we all flew to Dubai. I took them to the, um, half Ironman there. And, um, and, you know, then I got them in a pool for the first time. And then for the first couple of months, we just paid for them to go swimming, right. um, and at the time there were two pools in Afghanistan that allowed women, um, to, to enter. And so we would pay for their transportation to get to the pool, their entrance, um, and then get them, you know, home. And so we, we start out with the swim training and then, um, and then we did a training camp in Spain. Um, and so I was able to get them Schengen visas and wow. I brought them to Spain, got them on bicycles, um, for the first time. And then, um, we all, while we were still in Afghanistan before that training camp in Spain, we'd gotten spin bikes so that they could just get their legs, um, moving. Um, and then, you know, we got them outside in Spain and then back, back in Afghanistan again, you know, now we're swimming, cycling. Um, I actually hand carried bicycles into the country because I was having trouble figuring out how to get bicycles into Afghanistan, like nice bicycles. And I was like, gosh, the easiest way is just for me to buy them and fly in with them. And so, um, so, you know, I flew in with bicycles for the athletes. I ended up running the marathon of Afghanistan with my athletes in 2019, the very wow. marathon that I had read about in 2015. Um, I ended up competing in with my athletes in 2019. Um, and then in February of 2020, um, I ended up taking our top two athletes back to the race that they had seen the year before the half Ironman in Dubai. Um, Zara was able to finish the swim and which was still incredible after only mm -hmm. a year. Mm -hmm. And then she made it about halfway through the bike, but was only two minutes over, um, at the halfway mm -hmm. cutoff time. Mm -hmm. So she really did really well, even though she mm -hmm. didn't make it, I'm still really incredibly proud of her. Mm -hmm. Um, and then Zainab you know, finished. And I was there, you know, as she was carrying the Afghan flag across the finish line. Um, you know, but then, like I said, they both went on to earn scholarships to the States. Um, Zainab's flight to America actually fell on August 16th, the day after the country fell to the Taliban. So I ended up, you know, having to help her get on um, an evacuation flight. Um, definitely not part of the plan. Um, COVID wasn't part of the plan. Right. Um, 
you know, the Afghanistan government falling was also not part of the plan. <laughs> but all that, you know, to be said, um, Zainab did go on um, once she was in America. Then we supported her to compete in the half Ironman world championship um, just last year. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, wow. That okay, was the so Ironman world championship now. I think it's this weekend. The um, Yeah, the next one. Um, yeah, it's in Finland um, this weekend. Oh my gosh! So these these were girls. These were these were teenagers when you first met them. No, no, no. But they were in their twenties. Yeah, they were in their. 20s. Oh, they were in their twenties. Okay. Oh, yeah. Wow, that's amazing. You have to be eighteen to compete, and so okay. yeah, you can't be under eighteen to compete in an Ironman. So now they're both in school in the U.S. They're both graduated. They're both working. Both graduated now. Wow. Oh my gosh. Okay. And you're the current project in, um, yeah. in Kenya. Um, you, so you've started that already and how, I mean, is it like there is a year training program or is it just kind of trying to co coincide with the triathlons in the region that you could take them to, or how does it, how does it work? How do you choose your next projects or where you land next? So well, you know, Kenya is um, home to the Arbish, largest urban um, slum in all of Africa, Kibera. Um, we did a pilot program there in February of 2022. Um, we just, I just wanted to see the infrastructure in Kenya. And so I planned a program for 20 girls just to give them some swim lessons, um, went out to Nairobi, saw like the roads, the pools, like what kind of infrastructure they have. And of course, you know, Kenya... Kenya is super, super developed. Um, so, but, it, but they do have this huge inequality um, that I, you know, yeah, I, I mean, all of Africa, you have this very rich people in Kenya, and then you have extreme, extreme poverty. And one part of the population serves the other part of the population. Um, and, you know, it's really hard to get out of poverty um, because it does serve another part of the population. Um, and so, you know, the inequality um, in Kenya is, is, is large, like, you know, between the rich and, and the poor. And so, um, yeah, uh, the project, though, the pilot program went great. Um, so we decided to go back and, and just, you know, serendipitously, um, the Ironman um, organizers in Rwanda had reached out to me. And um, they said, hey, we heard about your organization that you're working with these girls in Kenya. And I said, hey, you know what you can do? You can give us some free race slots. <laughs> so, um, And so they agreed to give us some race slots um, for our fundraising athletes, as well as um, some athletes in Kenya. And so then we went back to Nairobi and um, we organized tryouts. That was just last month. I mean, so we just finished our first month of training in Kenya. So yeah, the end of July, um, we went back to um, Nairobi. I took one of our board members, Jocelyn, um, who's she had just been a lifesaver to, to She Can Try. Um, if you see anything on our social media or on our website, um, that's all her doing. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, and Jocelyn, even Jocelyn, like I met, she came across the organization, was inspired and reached out. Like through our journey, all these people across the world have reached out to me and wanted to help. And, and I just think that's what's so beautiful about it. Um, and we're all supporting these women in, um, in Nairobi. We are soon to be, um, you know, 
recruiting more ambassadors that can race any race. You know, if they don't want to necessarily do the race in Rwanda, they can do any race and raise money for us if they would like um, and be part of our, you know, fundraising efforts and team. So um, if you have any listeners that are interested in that, please reach out to me. Um, I'd love to hear from you. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I'm going to put myself on that list as well. That sounds fantastic. Yeah, (laughs) we'd love to have you. Cool. I'm there. Um, Okay, let's fast forward a little bit and talk about 1 January. Yeah. So, you know, um, I wanted to come up with a way. I mean, largely now we're still donor funded, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, and we're, that's when we have these fundraising athletes. We're right now raising um, $40,000 for our project in Kenya. Um, But eventually I would really like to be a sustainable organization to where one January, which is our active wear, um, makes enough profit to where it will feed in to She Can Try. Um, One January has given She Can Try some money, but it's just not um, super profitable enough at this time to where it can completely, um, support she can try, but I would like to, to get it to that point. And also, you know, when we were, when I was doing, she can try a lot of people would ask me like, well, Hey, do you have a shirt I can buy? Or like, Hey, how can we support you? And so I was like, Hey, like, I'll just come up with this clothing line and you can know when you buy this, like 50% of profits from this are going back to em- empower women through sports, um, you know, impacted by war and poverty. Um, and so I thought, you know, what a better way to connect athletes around the world. Um, you know, if you have the ability and opportunity to buy active wear, um, well then, yeah, you should feel great about going to the gym and our line, knowing that you're truly helping another individual. So you, when did you start this line? So one January launched in 2021. 2021. Okay. So you've got. With pre-sales, but I mean, we really got rolling in 2022. So it's, it's super, super young. Yeah. Very young. And you've got these two awesome projects. One is supporting the other and you also have a day job. Yeah. Yeah. I work. Um, I mean, the reason I'm here in the Netherlands is I work um, at NATO um, in the public affairs office. Holy moly. Okay. So when you said you just kind of work all of the time, you do, you must just kind of but work all of the time. Bit. Like it's just like <laughs> a little bit all the time. Um, I like staying. Um, but I, again, I don't feel, I mean, I still have time for people and my friends like, um, yeah. And I mean, I guess my, my next biggest project is, um, you know, this earlier this year, um, I decided I was going to have a baby on my own. Um, so that's also a huge project. <laughs> that's almost a full-time job, um, for anyone that's, um, ever, you know, become a single mother by choice. Um, the IVF journey, um, is, is long and, and very difficult. So, so that is a huge, huge project that you're undergoing as well. Well, congratulations at this, that the, I don't think the, the start. Yeah. The, yeah. The, I mean, yeah, I think a lot of women decision. just making the decision to, to do it on their own. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I had a party. Um, I was like, yeah, great. Decision. I'm not getting married, but we're going to celebrate me. It was really yeah. about celebrating me. Um, I and I, how many women don't do that? Like they feel like, oh, I can have a party, you know, when I have a baby or, oh, I can have a party when I do this thing. But I'm, I, I mean, 
I'm all about like have a party when you get a promotion at work. Have a party when you've accomplished, you know, this amazing athletic feat. Have a party when you've made a big decision in your life on your own. Like that takes a lot of guts and bravery in my mind. And those are just as equal as, I mean, and when the United States, 50% of marriages are ending in divorce, you know, like, um, so like, why are we celebrating? I don't know. I just, um, I'm not that I don't think, I think love is a great thing. Um, but I think there's a lot of things and a lot of other ways to express love with friends or through other accomplishments or whatever, um, that you can also, yeah, celebrate. It doesn't just have to be around, you know, this traditional family model. 100% agree. I also love the idea of celebrating the start of journeys. You know, when somebody decides to start a business or when somebody gets into grad school, the, you know, the start of the journey, not just the end of it, but making the decision to to do something that's undoubtedly going to alter your life and, and change things uh, in a big way. Uh, I think celebrating those, the start of something or making that decision is important as well, uh, particularly for women. Yeah, I agree. So when you, so one January is not just supporting, um, she can try, but it's also your apparel line is made from recycled plastics. Yeah. So I, I didn't want to, um, you know, steal from Peter to pay Paul. And so I really wanted to make sure that I was creating a line that was also, you know, good for the world. Like I didn't yeah. want to, um, yeah, I, I just, I'm, I'm very con from working in Afghanistan, you know, undoubtedly, um, you know, when you go in to try to do a positive thing, sometimes, you know, you might end up, you know, not always um, doing a positive thing. There can be negative effects. But if you really think about all those things through before you start something, um, you know, I think that can be avoided. Um, I think all of us, um, you know, not meaning to cause small harm in the world, you know, um, on a daily basis. Um, but I think if you do your best to minimize that harm and really are a conscious shopper, a conscious eater, you know, um, yeah, what you put on your body, in your body and in your mind matters. Mm -hmm. So we have a lot of, uh, folks in our network who are aspiring apparel entrepreneurs. How did you find, how did you, set up the production like how did you find you know it's not just anywhere especially with all of the production companies that are akin to fast fashion right so you can you know that run small batches but are very pol polluting at the same time how did you find the companies the the sourcing material finding production how did you go about that process so um you know right now we are actually um, in the process of switching manufacturers. I mean, I was lucky I ordered a big enough bulk order that we had plenty of product, but um, our first manufacturer was actually in um, Sri Lanka. Um, and um, and then they broke out into a civil war. Um, and so, you know, we had to, um, to pivot after that. But luckily our first, um, you know, really big bulk order had already been made. Um, and then now we are um, looking to produce in Mexico, but now, which will be so much easier, actually, I wish um, in hindsight, you learn so much, um, you know, when you, when you start a company, um, but, you know, the shipping was also 
really, really difficult, um, especially right after COVID. I mean, you have to remember, I developed this in 2021. So um, getting product across the world in 2021 um, was really, really hard. Also, as, as a small company, um, you know, million dollar, billion dollar companies were struggling getting product across the world. And so it was really hard to compete. Um, and so I would just, but you, you have to stick with it. Um, but that is, you know, why I decided to keep my day job, um, for now, um, is because, yeah, I couldn't, I can do a lot, but I can't do everything <laughs> at one time. And so, you know, um, and especially in, in the United States, sadly, we don't have a national health care plan. And as I said, um, you know, I'm in the process of becoming a mother. And so as an entrepreneur, um, it would to have health insurance in the States um, is, is very hard. Um, and so I thought, you know, the only way I can make this work is to stay in my job, have my baby um, and then and then grow it slowly. Um, but yeah, I mean. At now, I mean, I, th I want to get to a point in my life where I'm only working for myself. Um, but yeah, I'm not there yet either. It takes, it takes a long time. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I want nothing more, but to have to answer to no one, but me. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's probably for myself and, and everybody listening who are somewhere, somewhere along the entrepreneurial journey. That's probably a big motivator. Uh, one of them is, you know, when you see a problem and you think, oh, I could, I can, I'm, I'm going to take a crack at that. And the other one is, yeah, of course, autonomy to be able to take a crack at a problem in the way that you want to do it, uh, yeah. especially along your own, your own time scale and, and with the resources that you can muster up. Yeah. But I mean, honestly, when I started one January, I was typing into Google, like, how do you start a clothing line? And then I came across, you know, um, Alibaba, um, and um, and I reached out to a couple manufacturers there. It wasn't great quality. Um, I started reading all these books about other um, companies where they found their manufacturers. They suggested, you know, looking up like your favorite clothing lines manufacturers. So like I'm like looking in every like activewear line that I like. I'm like, where's this made, and how do I find the manufacturer? Oh, and, you know, that's smart. I did a couple of you know Google searches. The manufacturer that we went with. Um, in Sri Lanka, you know, had also worked with some other really, really well-known big brands that yep. produce um, great quality. And so I thought, well, gosh, if it's good enough for them, it's good enough for me. Um, and then also, you know, they weren't the cheapest to go with, um, but they did produce us with the best quality. And they were also able to source all the product um, and promise, you know, us that it would came from um, fair processing, which right. we really cared about. And so right. that was really great. And so you you're are you the designer as well do you run that thing my thing i mean project like this is you you're doing the designing you're doing the ordering you're, you're doing logistics you're doing the social media you're doing the marketing all of it is you so we have a 3pl you know that handles our um shipping and that sort of thing and then um you know we're 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 working really hard right now on um developing partnerships um with gyms so i'm working with another oh, right. gentleman that's trying to get um our product in some gyms across the united states um, but we, we're really small, you know, we have four products, um, and, and, and that's, that's what my advice, um, would be. I would almost tell other entrepreneurs, like not even to start with four, like start with one, Okay. <laughs> like, like start you, oh, you want to start so big, but like, 
if you develop one really good product, mm-hmm. like, um, God, yeah, I just, I would do so many things different. Um, I would have, um, manufactured in Mexico. I would have only started with one product. Um, you know, like there's just, you learn so many things, um, you know, from the mistakes that you make, but it cost me, it cost me a lot of money, right. um, those mistakes. And especially when I was trying to make money for my nonprofit, you know, um, that cost was extra, um, you know, hurtful, I guess, because I was like, I'm trying to raise money or my nonprofit is all it's doing is making me lose money. <laughs> um, but yeah, but hopefully eventually, you know, um, you learn from your mistakes and you grow. So if you look back at that now, it's like, I guess, 18 months or, or so since you've really officially launched and you're, you're out there. Um, you mentioned manufacturing, the location you have changed, um, starting with, with four products, you went out the gate with four products, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anything else in terms of marketing or just launching anything else that you would have done differently if you, if you could have? I mean, I definitely would have, um, raised money. Um, I wanted to, um, bootstrap and, um, and yeah, that's been, you know, I, I've been very fortunate in my career, you know, I've, I've made a fair amount of money, but, um, but yeah, it was just, it was, it was so much. Um, I, I think you don't realize how much things cost. Um, you know, like think how much money you need and then times it by four yeah, <laughs> and then okay. times it again by two. Like, um, it always costs so much, um, more than you think it will. And you don't realize like you have to order so much product to get it to a price point where you can be competitive. Right. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's a lot. That's why, you know, if you only, especially if you're bootstrapping, you start with one product, it might be a little more doable. Um, but you have to order a lot of product, and then, you know, competing with these, um, multi-million dollar companies. Well, the only way you can, I think, truly compete is, um, well, you also need to make a million dollars. <laughs> right. Right. Um, so, yeah. And if I could ask you somewhat of the same question about starting a nonprofit, I'm sure I've, I've never worked in a nonprofit. Uh, I've been on some boards, but I've never worked in a nonprofit, especially on the business side. Um, and so I'm sure there are a lot of idiosyncrasies to, to starting and running um, a nonprofit organization. But what now, with some hindsight, would you have done differently um, in starting a nonprofit with, with the knowledge that you have now? Oh, gosh. You know... I've learned a lot with the nonprofit. Um, I mean, most of the things that I've learned with the nonprofit is about working with other people, but I wouldn't say like anything. I don't know that um, I learned really how to say no. Um, oh, interesting. That was like one of the, cause so when you have a nonprofit, um, a lot of people want to help you, but what you find when people want to help you is they want to help you in the way they want to help you, not in the way that's actually helpful to you. And, um, you know, so people would call me and they'd say, Hey, like I have all these, you know, clothes that I need to donate very well-intentioned people. But if I don't have the time and resources to go through all those clothes and, and, you know, I'm paying for transportation for my athletes who already have clothes, like then we become, you know, now we're goodwill. Um, and we're, you know, when we're really trying to focus on training these athletes and now I'm, I'm sorting through clothes and that I'm like, what am I doing? Right. Um, you know? And so, um, I've really learned how to say, like, if someone reaches out to me, 
um, and says, I would like to help. I'm like, this is what we need. If you cannot provide this, I don't want your help. <laughs> Got it. Oh, that's <laughs> because, interesting. Um, because yeah, or you just end up, you know, in the nonprofit world, you, it's called mission creep, you know? And so, um, and so many people are like, oh, well, did you think about this? And like, I'm like, I do not have the capacity to think about anything else. Like I am thinking about this and only this. And that's also given me like a superpower to really accomplish that. Like, I think when people think, oh, well, what are we going to do in 10 years? Like in 10 years, like <laughs> give me a break. Um, like, like think about today and tomorrow. And um, yeah, I just focus on, you know, the small goal and get that done and then think about, you know, the growth. Um, and so, yeah, it just, if you, if you try to accomplish everything at once, you will one end up very bitter, which I have definitely become very bitter at certain <gasps> through my journey. Um, and you're like, I hate all these people trying to help me, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but if you just, you know, very politely learn how to say no, um, you know, but yeah, I've gotten so much better at communicating what I need, um, in all aspects of my life, um, from running the nonprofit. That's amazing. Okay. That's a very, that's a very actionable, uh piece of advice i think especially the and you and i hear you know seasoned entrepreneurs say this a lot which is focus on the goal that's immediately in front of you of course you can have a, a business plan and you can have a vision board for what you want in 10 years even five years out even three years out but you need to like you've got to get over that next challenge for there to be a challenge after that so Focus on the thing that's immediately in front of you. Do that well, get it off your plate and then go to the next thing. Exactly. And that's how you should really spend your time. Do you feel like the fact that you can work in short bursts for you know a sustained amount of time, that's um, that equips you well to be an entrepreneur with multiple projects going on? Yeah, I mean, I like it. Um, I like being, you know, work on this a little bit, work on this a little bit. Um, and I'm also, um, you know, really efficient and, um, and also, you know, self-motivated. Uh -huh. And so, um, like I take my to-do list every day, like so seriously. And I, you know, I get such a high, like when I get to mark something out, um, like and I'll show you my day planner, um, <laughs> like, like I mark everything out and perfectly straight. And you line. write it out too. Like, you write but, it. Yeah. Like, but I, you know, um, and yeah, I keep a paper planner. I know like that's like, um, yeah, some people in like today's world, they're like, uh, don't you know, like Google calendar. And I mean, I do have my like Google calendar, but then I also put it in my paper planner. Cause I, I just feel like I can see it better when I hold it. It's tangible. It's real. I need to get this done. Um, and if anyone wants to make fun of me for that, well, you know, who also does that Cheryl Sandberg. So, um, so like, if it's good enough for Cheryl Sandberg, it's good enough for me. <laughs> I also have a paper that I, but I think mine is more, I also went to journalism school, but I think it it's more a function of being trained to be a newspaper journalist than, yeah. than my age. Hopefully I'll say that. Are you still competing in, in Ironmans? No, I mean, right now, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm focused on um, really just providing. Yeah. I mean, I'm just at the point in my life, like I have, I have enough medals. Like I don't, um, maybe after, after I have my baby, I'll, um, you know, say, Oh, I'm doing my, after, you know, I became a mother race, but I've just uh -huh. really gotten to a point in my journey, um, where I really am just focused on becoming a mother, 
um, building relationships around me and empowering other women. And, and that's enough. I like that a lot. All right. Well, we have, we usually close our session with some rapid fire questions. Uh, I've got about six. If you, if you don't mind. Ooh, rapid fire. I'm ready. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) rapid ish because they're not yes or no questions. So rapid ish. Um, what are the, we're now at the, at the tail end of August, uh, it's summer, wrapping up summer. What do the rest of your plans for 2023 look like? I know you, you've mentioned having a baby. That's at the top of the list. Yeah, I mean, um, and just fundraising. I mean, we are in fundraising for She Can Try. Um, we are actually already pretty much halfway through. So we've already, I said we were raising $40,000. And so we still have $20,000 to go. So I've been doing, organizing a lot of fundraising events. Um, and then just trying to get the awareness out and the word out about what we're doing so that people um, can get involved if they want to. And then, of course, yeah, just my my IVF journey um, is, I mean, I made one New Year's resolution this year, and that was to get pregnant. And I'm still not there, and it's August, and I, and I still don't know if it's going to happen this year. Um, but, you know, I'm not discouraged. Like, I think, um, yeah, just plugging along. I mean, I'm just going to keep trying until, until it works. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Um, okay. So if we think about your amazing journey so far, especially in entrepreneurship, uh, in the entrepreneurial realm, what do you feel like might not be one thing, but what do you feel like is your biggest success to date and however you would define success? Oh gosh. Um, my biggest success to date. I don't really know that I, um, yeah, I mean, I'm proud of myself for, um, I guess all the self work that I've done, um, you know, like, I don't think I would be able to be the person that I am today without really looking in the mirror and, um, and doing a lot of hard, hard self work, um, and I think some people go their whole lives and never do that work. Um, and that is, that has been probably the most challenging, but most rewarding. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm a huge fan of therapy. Um, it's painful. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's enabled me to be hopefully a, a better person. And, um, and hopefully, um, it also has taught me so much about myself. Like I really feel like I know myself so well. Awesome. I too am a big fan of therapy. The flip <laughs> side of that, what would you consider to be your biggest failure today? Again, however you might define that word. Um, so I um, you know, I'm more of the mindset that, you know, it's it's not really ever a failure. You always are learning. And so um, I mean, I've fallen flat on my face like a, a lot of times. Um, you know, but that's life, like life ebbs and flows. Um but I think, you know, again, we were, we were talking earlier, you know, about making the decision to try something. I mean, even in this, um, pursuit of of pregnancy, like there is a possibility like that, that never works out for me. Um, and, but gosh, I would hate it if I had never tried and I'm giving it my all. Um, and so I don't think anything's a failure. I mean, 
will I be sad? Like, of course I'll be sad, you know, like, um, will I maybe have to pivot my idea of what being a mother looks like? Maybe. Um, but, but, you know, you, you just have to go with the flow of life and, and constantly learn and adapt. Um, so I don't know that I believe in failure. <laughs> yeah. I like that. Especially the, just try, try it as well. Yeah. And don't be scared of the failure. Cause it, it I mean, who cares if you, but yeah. Who cares? Awesome. <laughs> All right. And what about, you might've already answered this in your last two questions, but what is the most important you've, lesson you feel you've learned to date? I mean, I think focusing on, on people and, um, and relationships. Um, yeah. I mean, I think when I was younger, you know, I, I wanted, I don't know, just all these silly things <laughs> now just, um, I mean, I want to be comfortable and, um, you know, I still want nice things, but, um, more than anything, I want to be around people that are full of love and inspiring, um, and also people that also have done the work. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't know if, when you hang around, um, other people, um, you become who you hang around. And so, mm -hmm. um, that's really, you know, I want to be around people that make me, um, want to be the best version of myself. Oh, that's inspiring. Um, all right. And with everything that you've seen in lots of different parts of the world that you've been to, um, if you could get 85% of the world to adopt a single behavior, what would that be? Oh gosh, a single behavior, 85% of the world. Um, I mean, I think it would only take, um, not even 85% of the world to make big changes in the world. I think if we didn't allow any billionaires, um, that would solve a lot of the world's problems. Um, you know, when you look at the, the massive amounts of wealth that some people have, um, and the extreme poverty that other people are living in, it just, it doesn't make sense. Um, and so, you know, I think we all need to, to look at, um, to look at ourselves and, and think, why do we need all of this? And is that fair? And I think, you know, um, one person can work at a worthy startup and become a millionaire and another person can work at a worthy startup and become broke. You know, a lot of wealth is, is luck, um, and timing and sure, both of those people might've worked hard, but one person didn't deserve the million dollars any more than the other person did. Um, and so, yeah, I just think, you know, spread the wealth, spread the love. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, where can we find you? And by you, I mean, one January and she can try if you could give us yeah. a plug for where you live online and social. Yeah. So she can try is at, she can try T R I as in triathlon, um, pretty much on everything. So LinkedIn, um, we're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, and then our website is she can try.org. Um, and then one January is one January.com spelled out one. Um, and then on, um, socials, we are at one January sport. Awesome. Jackie, a huge thank you for joining us today. I really enjoy learning about your journey and, and more about you as well. Um, and I will absolutely follow up with you afterwards about becoming an ambassador for She Can Try because what a worthy cause. We would cause. love to have you. We have such an yeah. incredible group of women. You would fit right in. I would um, love so it. Time. Thank you. And to everyone else in the audience, we'll see you on B1.